And uh, I also just want to thank you who are guests today. Thanks for, for coming and visiting us at Crossroads Church. And um, we're glad that you are here. We really are. We feel it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a privilege for us that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning for a couple hours. Um, and you'd risk a hot dog. <laughs> the, the, they're good, good, calorie-free, I'm certain. The chip, potato chips are calorie-free anyway. So um, I like to start our time in looking at the Word of God um, and, and look at the book of Proverbs. There's always a proverb that is equal to the date on the calendar. So today I picked out of Proverbs chapter 26, our date, um, verse 20. It says, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where, is, where there is no tail-bearer, some translations say gossip. Strife ceases. How true is that? So a question, how do you deal with an impossible boss? Yeah. <laughs> Church staff, be quiet. <laughs> I mean, if you're a Christian um, and we're not, maybe you're working somewhere where there are days you just say to yourself, I, I hate to go to work. I, I just do not want to go to work. And it's not the job. It's my supervisor. It's, it's the boss. It's the owner. It's, that, making me crazy is too easy to describe. You know, I mean, it's not that he or she is unreasonable. They're just unfair. You know, they're pushy. They're manipulative. Maybe, maybe in your mind, maybe they're just mean. Um, it's bottom line. What's, what, what are we to do? What's a Christian response? What does God want you to do when you find yourself... And, and maybe you've thought about, daydreamed about, planned about walking up to that boss and saying, take this job and hang it on your beak. You thought I was going to say something else. <laughs> and we feel that way, but, you know, it's not so easy to do because you go to the mailbox and the bills keep coming, right? You've you, you got to have that job. You've got to be able to pay your bills. So we got this dilemma there's an old riddle, so riddle me this. There's something that takes a lifetime to build, but you can lose it in an instant. You got some help because the answer came up, but you're right. The, the reputation. Okay, okay, we'll give her credit for that. You've already got your ice cream cone for the day, though. Okay. I mean, you can lose some things, and then you can buy them back. You can, you, know, you can lose your car, you can lose your home, you can lose your thermos, your favorite, whatever. Um, you can lose a lot of things in the world, but when you lose your name, you've lost something that's almost impossible to ever get back. Proverbs 22, verse 1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Your reputation is key for how to deal in a positive and a powerful way with, with, with even an unreasonable boss. Here's what I mean. Our reputation, um, it gets built up in three major areas of life. First one is our public life. You know, what do you do, how do you behave at the PTA meeting? How do you behave as a parent at the youth soccer game? Right? I mean, I've been to some youth sports, and I've seen some parents, and I've, and in, my, in the smallness of my heart, I've made some calculations about the character of some of the parents because of the way they carry on. You know what I'm talking about. If you've ever been, there's always that guy or that woman, whatever. Um, and and you know, if, if, if you do something really good in your public life, you'll gain a reputation. If you do something really stupid, you'll gain a reputation, and um, you know, one way or the other. Second, second area is your personal life. 
What do your family members, your friends think of when your name comes up? What floats to the surface of their mind in your personal life? You know, what are the new words that your toddler blurts out (laughs) somewhere unexpected? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, because that is something that most people will go, oh, they learned that at home. They didn't learn that here. Mom's saying, they didn't learn that from me. You know, your personal life. But the place where you actually spend the majority of your time, the majority of your waking hours is spent at work. You know, you do the math, what is it? I think it's 168, 40 times, you know, I mean, 168 hours a month, you're a lot more than the time that you spend awake at home is at work. So how do you, how do you behave that creates a reputation? Do you come to work on time? Do you, you know, do you do quality work? How's your attitude towards the people that you work for and the people you work with? I mean, your professional life is where a huge imprint of your reputation gets built. And if you begin to, you know, right now in this moment, start to think about the people that you work with, you know, they've got a reputation in your mind, the people you work with, you know, well, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ask him for time off at this time, because, you know, I know what to expect. And he's just a wet blanket. Or, you know, just whatever. Our reputation almost always precedes us. It gets there ahead of us. And until we, we understand that our reputation is the guiding factor for how to relate to a boss, we're going to always be a frustrated Christian with an impossible boss. And in, back in Peter's day... Um, Christianity then, just like it is today, it had, had a bad reputation in the world. And so to, to bring us back to where we left off a couple weeks ago, I'm going to just read those passages, 1 Peter 2, verses 11, and 17, 11 to 17. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and exiles to keep on a, a, abstaining from the desires of the flesh that wage, against, wage war against the soul. He's saying, so be pure, verse 12. Continue to live such upright lives among the Gentiles that when they slander you as evildoers, they may see your good works and glorify God when he visits them in judgment. Then he moves on to some specific um, areas about how you know, this works out in our public life. Verse 13. For the Lord's sake, submit yourselves to every human authority, whether to the king as supreme or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who, who do wrong and to praise those who do right. Verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live like free people and stop using your freedom as an excuse for doing evil. Instead, be God's servants. Show honor to everyone. Keep on loving the brothers, fearing God, and honoring the king. So, in the area of our public reputation, in order to protect the reputation of Christians and, and of God and of his church, Peter's saying, first off, have personal purity. You know? And then secondly, he's saying, in, in the public areas of life, do good works and be pure. And then in our professional life, he gives this radical command. I mean, he says to submit to your masters. Not only the good ones, the kind ones, the considerate ones, but even those who are harsh and even perverted. And, and from the viewpoint of a slave in that day, this is a pretty radical command. And then Peter you know, goes on and he uses our Lord Jesus Christ as an example. And so, 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 so remembering the context, how do you deal with an impossible boss? The very first thing he says, he says, it's not going to be very, very popular in this room in the next 15 seconds, okay? I realize it's not going to be popular. Here's what he says in verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves 
to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Okay, that word harsh, um, is, you know, is obviously it was written originally not in English, but in Greek. And the word harsh there, the Greek word there is scoliosis. Maybe you've heard that word before. It's the same word we use for a medical condition that has to do with a spine, a problem with a spine, um, scoliosis. And that's the literal word here. He says, but even those who are scoliosis. It means, it means bent. It literally means crooked. Some translations translated as perverted. Okay, so that's what that word. Here's a picture of someone they're saying to submit to, someone who is morally evil or morally bent. It's someone who gives you a raw deal. Maybe is rough on you. Maybe promises you things and doesn't deliver. Ever had a boss like that? You know, it, it's a person who's bent, crooked, perverse, harsh, unreasonable. And some of you, right now, you can identify with that. You know, you work with people like that. And what he's saying is, 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 he says, here's what he's saying, and it's such a radical command. Submit to them just as if they were good to you. Oh, <laughs> it sounds pretty radical. Sounds kind of ridiculous. I mean, submission and being an American citizen don't sound really complimentary. I mean... <laughs> I mean, they feel like opposites to me. So, and here's the deal. Biblical submission is not where, where you say, oh, you have all the power, so I'm just going to kowtow to you and blindly follow what you say. That's not what we're talking about here. Last time we talked about this, biblical submission is, is this. It's with a positive attitude. You willingly, voluntarily, and graciously give up your rights. You give up your rights. And... For certain, this doesn't mean some kind of blind obedience. You know, you stick your head in the sand and do whatever they say. It doesn't mean to sin. You know, if somebody tells you to do something, um, it doesn't mean to cheat at work. It doesn't mean to cover up. It doesn't mean, you know, that you deceive. That's not what it's saying. It's, it means that within the parameter of righteousness, even if the guy telling you to do something is a jerk, can I say jerk in church? Because I say it out in the parking lot. I might as well say it in here. So do you. Okay. Um, and it says, submit to him with a good attitude. As long as he's not asking you to do something wrong. But that's tough. You know, even when the person asking you to do something is a nice guy, it's not too easy. But God's saying, we're to do it even when the person isn't good at all. And I'm pretty sure some of us in this room right now are thinking, I don't know, Terry. <laughs> it's a pretty tall order. You don't know my boss. You don't know the environment. And, and, and because our typical response, at least mine, you know, in that kind of situation is, first off, one, how I find, I'm going to get another job. I'll go get another job. Second one is retaliate. How can I fix this boss? Or the, the next one is maybe, how can I make this boss look bad? Okay. Maybe number four, ah, I'll intimidate, I'll do something to get even. Number five, cross off number four, because I need this job. (laughs) And so to understand what's going on here, the context of all this, because it sounds pretty radical, I think it's good for us to understand their context, what Peter was talking about, because the word here is slave, slavery. And some of us could go, oh, this doesn't really make sense. What's this have to do with us, Terry? So a couple of things. 
So in the early church, in the times that this was written, in the Roman Empire, there were, some people calculate, around 60 million slaves. 60 million slaves. And uh, the, the way that that worked is the Roman conquest. First off, they would have people that would be prisoners of war. They would become slaves. But then the children born to slaves would also become slaves. So it grew up over time, and now they're up to around 60 million. And it wasn't just menial tasks that these people performed. I mean, the, uh, the picture here of the guy under, down in the bottom of the, you know, the ship rowing, like from Ben-Hur, I, they were slaves too, but that's not really typical of what a slave was. I mean, these, these people were doctors, Teachers, musicians, you know, actors, secretaries, stewards, they had all of the same kind of jobs you have. Okay? These people, in, in fact, virtually all of the work being performed in the Roman Empire was being performed by slaves. I mean, the, the Romans had the attitude that, hey, if you're going to be the conqueror, what good is it to be the conqueror of the entire world if you've got to do the work? We'll have slaves, and they did virtually everything. And so, um, you know, that was their deal. And, and, and they believed several things. They believed that the supply of slaves was never going to run out. We've got, we can conquer what we need, and then those slaves are going to produce more babies, and we're just going to have this engine all the time to do all the things and make our life easy. And, and here's some things. Slaves were not allowed to marry, but they were allowed to cohabitate. So they would have children, and um, the children born of slaves did not belong to their parents. They were the property of the masters. You know, same, same as like if you, if you were a farmer today and you have sheep and your sheep have lambs, you own those lambs. The sheep don't own the lambs, you do. And you can do whatever you want. That's the viewpoint that they had. Slaves were not, by the way, they were not all this unhappy lot. This isn't necessarily a, you know, a snapshot from the movie Roots, Okay. They weren't all unhappy. Some of them were treated well. Some of them were considered almost equal to family members. So there was a wide variety. Um, But there was one inescapable fact about slavery in in the Roman Empire. In In their empire, a slave was not a person. They were a thing. A thing. And for that reason, a slave had no concept or hope for justice. They had absolutely no rights. None. And so they couldn't expect for their rights to be honored because they didn't have any rights. And uh, to to help you get a picture here, um, you've probably heard of a guy named Aristotle. Aristotle wrote a lot, philosopher, famous philosopher, and um, one one of the books he wrote was called Politics, and he makes some statements about slavery. So these are the words of Aristotle um, about slavery. While being human, he's a piece of property And a piece of property is a tool for action separate from its owner. There could be no friendship nor justice towards inanimate things, not towards a horse or an ox or a slave. A master and a slave have nothing in common. A slave is a living tool, just as a tool is an inanimate slave. The only difference between a slave and a beast or a farmyard cart was that a slave happens to be able to talk. (laughs) Okay, there's the context Okay. Another writer of that same period, here's a statement from another writer. Whatever a master does to his slave, whether he deserves it or not, in anger, willingly, unwillingly, in forgetfulness, in afterthought, in cruelty, no matter what a master does to a slave, even caprice, that's the law. So the dominant life fact for these people is that if you're a slave, even if you're well-treated, you still remain a thing. 
You don't possess any, even the most basic rights that you and I absolutely own. We believe they're inalienable. Inalienable. You try and say it. <laughs> inalienable. They come from God. That's what, that's what we believe. And, and uh, no, they didn't. I mean, no, no, not even basic rights. Justice doesn't exist for them. Now, in that situation, put on that skin and listen to the commandment. And, and it comes down like this. Submit to those in authority over you. Wow. Not only the nice ones, but the ones who are perverted, the ones who are, the ones who are crooked, the ones who are scoliosis. Tough commandment. And these were the people that pretty much carried on life in Rome. I mean, estimates right now basically say that 80 to 90% of the, the people of the church in that time were slaves. So that'd be like if this was today, you know, Those people are free, but all of the rest of you are slaves. You guys can sleep now. We'll finish the sermon over here. <laughs> wow. So how is this relevant in our day? Because the matter of fact is that we're not slaves, right? We're not. I mean, here's the deal, though. Most of us cannot afford to just drop our job. We can't. You know? so, so you really are under the authority of somebody else. You know, that supervisor. And unless you just got drafted by the NFL... And you have an agent demanding millions of dollars for you. You, um, you know, you're just kind of stuck in this place for a season where you just have to go and do what they say, right? Yeah. I mean, so now I, I want to say here. I don't, I don't miss the point. It's 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 not. This point isn't here. Isn't that we're saying that if there's injustice in the world, that you just lay your head down and walk through it blindly and just get run over. By the way, anytime you encounter injustice in this world, you should do what you can to address it. I really believe you should. Um, that's a whole different sermon, salt and light, and we can talk about that another time we have. Um, but the, the, the parallel for us in this day is when we're in a situation where we can't change an injustice, he's telling us, submit even to a harsh and an unreasonable boss. And then he starts giving us explanations in the following verses, verse 19 and 24. It is commendable. Commendable is the same root word as our, our word grace. Okay? Powerful word. If someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Why? Because they are conscience, conscious of God. So they're aware that somehow God's in this. I want, I want, I want to get to that. Okay? So you don't just do it for them. You're, you're, you're submitting for God. And, and you do it because... You trust God, and you trust his ways and his plans without even necessarily even seeing God's blueprint. I want to see the blueprint. Okay, I'll submit, God, but can I see the, ga- the, the game plan here? I want to see how this is going to work out. That's not, what, that's not what Scripture is asking of us. Without even seeing that blueprint, um, we trust God's character. And then Peter points out the obvious, verse 20. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? In other words... You know, if you come to work late, if you do lousy work, if you, if you miss deadlines, if you spend your coffee room breaks gossiping and causing strife, and then you think, you know, they're really hard on me, and the reason they're hard on me here is because I'm a Christian. <laughs> but your supervi- supervisor is, is saying and thinking, you know, I, I really don't give a rip how you believe or where you go to church. Just come to work on time. 
you know, you shouldn't, we shouldn't as Christians go whining and complaining uh, that we're being persecuted if the real reason that we're receiving bad treatment is because we're doing a bad job. You know, that's a disease that needs to be eradicated from Christian circles. It really, you know, we should be the best workers. We should, we should be the most faithful, come on time, do a good job with the right attitude. We should be that. Because we work for God. Verse goes on. Um, you know, by the way, because we work for God, it's God that will judge our work. Not our employer. But anyway, so, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. In other words, if you're doing the right thing, if you're honest, if you're being a man or a woman of integrity, that's what that's talking about. Now, here's some things about injustice. Sometimes you can't do anything about it. You can't. Other times, even though you could do something about it, it's the will of God for you to bear through it. Because he wants to do something in your life or through your life. And he wants to do it while you're conscious about the fact that God's involved here somehow. God's not putting that harm on you, but God is going to use that circumstance for good. We love that scripture. It says, all things work together for the good of, for the good of those who love God. You know, it continues, right? But are called according to the Lord's purposes. That word called, we're going to get on that in a minute. The, the, the basic thought here is that God is pleased when, when his people trust him in the midst of unjust suffering. When, you, know, when you, the, the, you trust him in a time when things are tough. It's really easy to trust God just after you won the lottery. I hear. I haven't won the lottery yet. It could happen. Not because I buy lottery tickets, but if the Lord wants to miraculously cause me to win the lottery, he can also give me miraculously the winning ticket number. (laughs) By the way, this word, unjust suffering, it shows up over 40 times in the New Testament. It never, ever means physical abuse. Never, ever. It it has the idea here of mental anguish, of of, of pain uh, in our heart. And, And God understands that the biggest problem when you're getting a raw deal isn't that you're getting the raw deal. The biggest problem, God knows, is two things, resentment and bitterness and, and the churning and, and the tightening of the stomach and, and, and the desire to get even because what those things do is they don't hurt the boss. They hurt you and they hurt me. They take the life away. They take the joy away. They take our hope away. It puts us more under the thumb of an unjust boss, not less. And, and so the question is, what do you do if this boss, you know, in order for you to move ahead, the boss expects you to do some things that violate your morality? You know, that's a raw deal. Or you have to stay where you are and you watch less qualified people get promotions and move ahead. That's a raw deal. You know, there are unreasonable scoliosis Managers, supervisors, owners, bosses out there, scoliosis. It's, 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 it's like, and when you work for a person like that, the pain just kind of builds up. And the rest of this passage is going to teach us how to deal with that in, in godly ways. And, and one thing I want to say is this. God never in his word asks us to calculate and then to dispense justice. It's not our role. And when we take that on as our role, we will forever be frustrated. 
It's just not our role. You won't get to the point where you feel justice has been served. I read in the paper this morning about a family who endured a terrible tragedy of a death that related to uh, um, drunk driving. And um, the sentence was in the number of years for the person who had done the driving and and the person with them died. And uh, the family members of the dead person wanted a big sentence, and, of course, the family members of the driver wanted a smaller sentence, and the judge did what the judge did. But I could tell from the comments that it didn't matter what number the the judge assigned for how long. It wasn't going to satisfy the broken hearts of the family, that we are not not ever called by the Lord to calculate and to dispense justice. That's just not our role. I'm not talking about a civil office where if the Lord puts you in as a judge, then you are supposed to do what you think is right. But that's not the role for us in our everyday life to figure out, well, you deserve this, so I'm going to make sure you pay. It's not our role. And Peter gives a couple of reasons, and he gives an example, continuing on in verse 21. He said, this is the fact, this is in fact what you were called to do. And that word called is something. I mean, it could be translated, hey, Lisa, that was me calling her. But that's not what this is talking about. The word here, kaleo, um, it, it can mean that. But it literally, it means appointed, chosen. Okay, so you were called um, what you were called to do because Christ also suffered for you and left an example for you to follow in his, his step. Peter's saying that if you're a Christian, you were called to this lifestyle. So, I mean, we could do a quick rabbit trail um, Bible study. I wrote a couple of verses down here. There are several of them right here. First Peter, you know, on the word chosen or, or, or called, sometimes it's translated elect. First Peter 1, um, verses 1 and 2, Peter, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Um, Verse, um, chapter 1, verse 15. He who called you is holy, therefore you be holy. But you are a chosen generation. These are all real common scriptures. You can do an easy one. Um, in fact, if you'd rather hear some better ones that are talk about you were called into an inheritance. Okay? Chosen and appointed Christians into an inheritance, into a blessing. It, it, first Peter 3 says, Do not repay evil for evil, insult for insult, but with, the ble- but with blessing. Because you were called or chosen so that you may inherit a blessing. So this thing of called, God has plans for us. And um, we see that. I prayed that over, um, over Aspen, Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms, because it says that, that while we were inside of our mother's womb, the Lord knew us. What a promising scripture. It means that when I was in my mama's tummy, hi, mom. When I was in there, and she, all she knew was I was causing all kinds of havoc in her body physically because, you know, that's what babies do to mothers. Thank you, women, for bearing up under that. Thank you for my, to my daughter for bearing up and producing grandchildren for me. Um, we're in there, but, but that's what we think and know, morning sickness. But what God's going, oh, enough character to press through difficulty. Um, a weakness in an area so that he can't become too proud and he has to lean into God and trust him in some areas. Mm. The ability to, not, I'm not giving Terry one ounce of plumbing. <laughs> By the way, God, what's that all about? You know, God has a sense of humor. He doesn't give me one ounce of plumbing ability, but then my pipes break. <laughs> Never mind. I think it's a wonderful scripture, the fact that the Lord, while you were, it's, the word is knitted, literally knitted, in your mother's womb, 
God, was, God knew you. And it's like he, he decided then what kind of temperament and gifts and strengths. He loves you and he, he knows your tomorrows. So God has a call in our lives. And uh, then Peter, he gets on in this, this passage and he kind of pulls out the big guns in scripture. He says, okay, here's your example. And he brings Jesus into, the, into it. Verse 23, when he was insulted, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he made it his habit to commit the matter to the one who judges fairly. He, he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we might die to those sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were like sheep that kept going astray. Oh, that so describes me. I have a tendency to go astray. It's, my, it's in me. It's in you too. You want to go astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And what I want you to see, church, is somewhere between you know, the, the, the blessings in the faith of walking with Christ, so, somewhere between our life on this earth and tomorrow's in eternity, which I'm looking forward to, you, as a believer in Christ, are called to sometimes undergo some unjust suffering. It's just part of the deal. It's, you know, even... You could ask, well, what if I'm a really good Christian? Even if you are a really good Christian, I don't know what that means even. You won't escape this. It's just part of the package. It's just part of the job description. I mean, a long time ago, I was promoted into management for this big corporation, and, and I'm, so I'm finding out what that means. Besides, you know, I, there were parts of that, you know, hey, company car. Wow, cool, part of the package. I like this job, you know. Expense account. Part of the package. That's part of the good deal. You know, I was with this guy that was a couple of, well, actually many layers above me one time, and, and um, I didn't know how they, they treated management people differently, and they treated them pretty nice. And he says, hey, you can just go, you know, if you need to go have a lunch meeting, you go have a lunch meeting. And the company pays for it. And I say, well, what's that mean? You just, he says, you just pay for it. Give us the receipt. We pay you back. Or we pay for it. Put it Whatever. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to, like you, right? I'm thinking, where's the boundary? <laughs> I'm in Seattle, and this is 35 plus 40 years. 40 years ago, I was in management at age three. So. <laughs> 40 years ago, I'm in Seattle, and I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm with this guy. He's up the food chain somehow, somewhere, and I said, well, what if I want to go have lunch at the Space Needle? He says, come on. We went to the Space Needle for lunch that day. I think my lunch, no, this was 35, almost 40 years ago. My lunch was 70 or 80 bucks. Sign a thing, company will pay for it. Move along. Part of the package. We like that part of the package. I want that part. Of, do you want that part of the package? I don't work there anymore. I don't know what happened. <laughs> part of the package is you got to empty sometimes the trash. It's just part of the deal. It's part of the calling. And the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1.29, For you have been given the privilege, that's an odd word, the privilege for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Oh, Terry, do you really want to preach with the word suffer? No, I really don't. Um, James 1, verses, verses 2 through 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you are involved in various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But you must let <laughs> you must let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete 
and lacking nothing. And we hold that thing up at the you must let part because it's our choice. So when you're in some sort of hardship, you must let or not. And if you let it have its full effect, which is something good that God wants to build out of it, then you become what it says, mature and complete and lacking nothing. Part part of your calling as a Christian will be to model before the world what happens when the Spirit of God living in a person gets a raw deal. You know, instead, most of us think that the way that our friends or family or people that we love will hear about God and think, wow, I think I want to get involved and know more about this God thing because obviously it's changing your life. We think that you know, what we got to do is get our life together, get our priorities all straightened out, walk in a very carefully scripted, perfect life, and you know, be holy, have good relationships, everything's in order. And then when they see our perfect life, which... Good luck on that, okay? But when they see it, they'll say, oh, they do this thing. Look what Christianity and Christ has done for them. Let me follow them in it. That's what we think. I think it's really good, Christians, for you to, 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 to be an example to your family and for them to see that there is genuine, authentic difference in your life because of a hope that you have that you didn't have before. I think that's good. But you need to understand, that's a testimony. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will work in them. Where, where the majority of your friends and family are going to decide about whether to follow you, to, to be open to the things you become open to, it's going to see, it's going to be when they see faith and peace at, your, at work in your heart, and you have an unreasonable boss. Or faith and peace when... Somebody you love walks out on you. Or they see that you have faith and peace, even though it's killing you and hurting you. When your child, they tell you the word cancer at the doctor's office. Or when you're in the middle of a crisis, they just watch and they wonder, you know, is this Jesus stuff real or not? And when they see, not necessarily that the problem goes away, because everybody has problems, but when they see something of, Grace and the power of God in the middle of this extreme pressure that you're under, they're going to say, how can you have that loving attitude? Your husband was too young. How, how, can, you, you know, that, how can you forgive that drunk driver? I don't get it. They don't, but they can. And the fact that they're asking the question is ripe ground for the Holy Spirit to get and say, you know what? God isn't who you think he is. God isn't who Hollywood has portrayed him to be. God loves you. He has a plan for you. And there is an enemy in this world that wants to make things difficult for people, but God brings hope. And um, the greatest possibility for evangelism in your life for those people around you is when you respond differently than the world responds to those kinds of things. And it doesn't mean, you know, that you don't exercise savvy and wisdom and, 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 and rights that are God-given to you. And there are times when you do like the Apostle Paul, where you, where, you, where you stand up and say, hold on a minute, I'm a Roman citizen, you put me in jail illegally, you can tell that mayor to come and open the doors and he can personally walk me out of the jail and through the city and release me himself. You know what I'm talking about. If you, if you, if you, if you know that student, uh, if you're a student of the word, 
or you know, or if you're, you know, maybe sometimes you're called to be the Apostle Peter, and and they say, hey, don't preach or say the name Jesus, and um, you know that at some point you're supposed to just give people an answer to questions that they have, and uh, for that they treat you harshly and beat you. Um, you adopt an attitude in your heart that says, you know what, this is where I'm privileged to suffer for the God of the universe. And Christians, you and I are called to that type of living. Problem is, I don't want to. I don't want to. (laughs) This doesn't look so fun, Terry. You know, I mean, it's easier in our little ways and with our little attitudes just to retaliate, to make the boss look bad, and no one will know that we've pulled that trigger. But if you want to follow Christ's example, he sets a great example in that passage. If you're put in a situation like this, here are some easy steps. Number one, if you want to follow Christ's example, number one, be innocent so that they don't have grounds. They just don't have grounds for those, for those accusations. Number two, don't retaliate. You know, well, if I'm not going to retaliate, you know, what do I do? You do what Christ did. The next part of the passage. Instead, we do what Scripture says Jesus did. Number three, we commit the matter to him. Now that word commit, um, it's, it's, it basically means hand over. Let me commit this paperclip to you, Eric. That was a commit right there. I've handed over. I'm not responsible for that paperclip anymore. Could have been my wallet. <laughs> but it's literally to take, this word here is to, to literally to take something and hand it over to someone else. You commit the matter to, to the one who judges fairly. God, I'm going to do what this boss says. Sort it out. My, my accountability is right here. So I'm going to do what this boss is saying to do because my accountability is to you. You know, why is this so important? And I, you know, I think it's because back in verse 25, it says, we like sheep all go astray. Including that boss who's lost. That boss needs God. And then because we've trusted Christ, where it says they've returned to the shepherd, the overseer of our souls. Now, people who study church growth, and I read some of that stuff because I think it's important for churches to be living and growing, and we are, and, and it's healthy. They tell pastors, don't preach about suffering or sin or hell. Don't say those words in church. Could you tell I was a rebellious little boy? (laughs) The thing is that I'm teaching it today because there are times when God expects us to weather the storm. Because sometimes it's the will of God for you to get through that storm because he's wanting to produce something in you or through you for the benefit of somebody else. And that's God's plan to produce faith in you. Hebrews 11.6 is um, probably my favorite life verse. It says... Now, without faith, faith, not emotion, not your rock-solid plan that you've mapped out, but but without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, anyone who will commit the matter, anyone who will hand it over to God must believe that God exists and that he will reward those who diligently search for him. That, That word diligence, you know, our diligence our diligence tends to come out more 
in hardship than it does when things are going smooth. You notice that? I mean, I mean I'm not suggesting to you that God puts pain on you because you've made bad choices. I'm saying sometimes we make choices. Here's the path I'm going to go. I see the problem down there, but I'd rather do this for now than where I know I should be. We make these choices, even though we know it's going to lead to destruction or it's going to lead to problems. I mean, I don't know how many times I've had conversation with somebody on the topic of, of money, which I hardly talk about in church. And um, they, 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 they know they should trust God with their finances. They know they should tithe. They should be generous and give to, to needs that they see. But they just can't do it. And then they know, and they say, God, thank you very much. I don't really want to do this tithing thing. Stay out of my wallet, please, God. In other words, I'll figure out the finances of life. I don't need you, God. But then when the finances are falling apart around them, God, why are you letting this happen to me? They've chosen the hardship. But it says, we must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently search for him. Now, remember, we did a little quick snippet on chosen. I got one scripture. We're done, okay? Um, and this last one's about his rewards. First Peter 5, verses 10 and 11. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you, appointed you, chose you in Christ Jesus to his eternal glory, will restore you, will establish you, strengthen you, and support you. Power belongs to him forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, um, I, I know that the people in this room are going to go to work tomorrow and they are in the middle of a raw deal. But I know, Lord, that you're a fair God and you're a just God. And I, I know it may not be this week, it may not even be this month or even this year, but for people who are going to do that, Lord, I I'm, I'm just want to help God, it's hard. It's really hard sometimes to entrust things to you when to submit when it's just a raw deal. I, I just we want to entrust that to you, Lord, though, that when the time comes in your wisdom, God, in your sovereignty, that you will balance the scales between me and the unjust God boss. For these people, Lord. I, I, I want to pray that right now, for people in this room who this strikes home, that Lord, somehow there will be a shift of the burden of fixing this from our hearts to your capable hands. That it may be grace-filled, I'm sure it will because that's who you are, but Lord, the weight just needs to come off of us because of the, we stay away from bitterness and resentment. For our parts, Lord, we keep a right attitude in, a, in this raw deal. And that, Lord, we, when we need to suffer to press through them, Lord. We just want to get through quickly. So maybe the more submitted we are to you and to them, the quicker we get through that. We trust, God, that you will lead us and strengthen us and sustain us in those moments. I, while we're praying, church, I'd like to ask everybody to keep your eyes closed. I think there could be people here today who have never been told before that God loves them, never understood that God is not this angry, rule-keeping, measuring God in heaven who wants to crack the knuckles of people who don't obey. Instead, the picture, with, with eyes closed, instead the picture for you to understand about God is that he realizes that we make decisions that lead us really to bad places, to destruction. And instead of condemning us to hell, he 
says, please don't go there. You have to choose hell. Did you know that? You have to choose that. And the way you don't choose it is to say, I'll accept what God does for me to save my soul. And what he did to save you, save you from hell is his son Jesus, who came, and we read the scripture today where it said he, he paid the price, an awful price for my sin and for yours. And I know I will be forever in heaven when I die because of the promises of the word of God and because I have opened my heart to the Lord Jesus and said, I'm going to accept this gift from God of eternal life. If you've never done that before, I just want to take a moment and give you a chance to do that. You're not joining a church. I'm not going to chase you down and ask for your name or anything. I'm just going to say, if you've never opened your heart to the Lord before, you need to make a decision at some point because your eternity rests on this. If you've never opened your heart before, would you do it right now? I'll just pray with you and for you, and that's as much as this is going to go. If you want to do that, would you just look up at me, maybe give me a little hand wave so I know who I'm praying for. God bless you, sis. Others? I look across the room. Okay. Thank you. I see that one too. God bless you. Scripture actually says, God bless you too. I see that one. Scripture actually says that when people are open their hearts, that the angels have a big old party in heaven. That's a paraphrase, but it's basically what's going on. Lord, I want to thank you for people in this room who've made decisions and their eternity just changed. Lord, I, I, it doesn't mean our problems go away. It doesn't mean somehow um, we won't have problems, but Lord... Um, we, we now walk under the covering and the forgiveness and the grace and the blessings of the Almighty Creator. Thank you, Lord, for that. Fill these people and lead them, I pray.